I am really excited and honored to be able to wrap up our August series that we've been in called Anchored. Um, I'm really excited for today, so we're just going to jump right on in. If you have missed any part of Anchored, I would highly suggest you go back and rewatch it or watch it again. It has been very challenging for me, and if you have missed some of it, we're going to briefly recap what we've been talking about, but in this series called Anchored, We're talking about the fact that we're all metaphorically in this room, we're all anchored to something, right? Now, these anchors, these are things that we're holding on to. These are the things that we're putting our hope, our trust, our dependence in. And as followers of Jesus, so if you're a Christian in the room and you would say that Jesus is living in your heart, then the hope and desire for those of us who would say that is that Jesus would be our anchor. In fact, we have a little illustration that we've been using this month. It's gonna be behind me. And essentially what this picture, what it paints is what we're talking about and anchored. The fact that in this illustration, we are like the boat. We're the vessel on the water. And the water represents the unstable force. These are the things that happen in life. The storms happen in this unstable part. This is where, you know, maybe you go through a crisis financially. Maybe you've experienced a loss. Maybe um, you're grieving. Maybe there's been some relationship conflict in your family. Whatever that is, that would be this, the waters part. And we know that this part is unstable. It's always changing. We don't know what's gonna happen, it's unpredictable. And because of that, we need a stable force. Well, the stable force represented here is the ocean floor. This represents our heavenly father. He's not changing. He's not worried about what's happening at the top. He's not worried about the waters. He is constant, he's always good. And we need an anchor in this constant. And for those of us who love Jesus, who are followers of Jesus, our anchor is Jesus. That's, that's who anchors us to our heavenly father. Now, this is ideal, right? I also know the reality is for a lot of us is that this probably isn't how we're living our lives. Because the truth is, is you can call yourself a Jesus follower and you can claim to be a Christian. You can come to church on Sunday mornings. You can listen to worship in your car. You can pull out your Bible occasionally and read it and still not be living a life that is anchored in Jesus. This is why we've been talking about this this month because it's actually incredibly important that we talk about this. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Reagan brought a sermon in this series called Counterfeit Anchors. In that sermon, he talked about there are times because the storms of life come and we can't control it, we are, there are things in life that are vying to be anchors for us, lots of things. In fact, he called these counterfeit anchors. He said that counterfeit, what that literally means is, is that when something of value is duplicated and it looks like the, the thing, but it's actually an imitation and its sole purpose is to deceive. So in life, we can have counterfeit anchors. These are anchors that look good. In fact, sometimes they even look godly. But the reality is, is that if our dependence and our hope is not in Jesus, then they're just counterfeit anchors. So today, we're going to look at a very specific counterfeit anchor. In fact, the reason why we're gonna look at this anchor in particular is because I really do believe that this anchor is a very, very dangerous one for us spiritually. And in fact, I feel like most of us in the church 
And especially in the Western American church, we deal with this false counterfeit anchor all the time. And that is the anchor of comfort. So today we're gonna be talking about the anchor of comfort, this counterfeit anchor. And in fact, the title of my message is called, Are You Comfortable? So why don't you turn to your neighbor, ask them that question, say, are you comfortable? Um, Hopefully, you know, we're all comfortable in the room today. And we're gonna pray as we get started. Well, Lord, we love you. You are so good. And you're, you're better than we know. And Lord, we just ask you in these next few minutes that we have together where we're gonna open up your word, Lord, would you show us who you are? God, would the soil of our heart be good ground? And Lord, would your word produce fruit in our life? We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm gonna start with a question and this is where I'd like some participation, okay? How many of you in the room, I want you to raise your hands, how many of you in the room would say you like to be comfortable? Comfortable with something that you like, yeah, yeah. Honestly, if your hand's not raised, I don't know if you're telling the truth because I really do believe that all of us in life, we wanna be comfortable. In fact, I know that because if I lined everybody up in the room and I met with you face to face and said, okay, you have a choice, comfort or discomfort, I feel like everybody in the room is gonna pick comfort. I I doubt somebody's gonna be like, no, it's pain and suffering for me. That's what I'd like. Um, None of us want to be uncomfortable. We don't wanna live in discomfort. And in fact, I came face to face with my own hatred of discomfort um, not too long ago in in June, I was um, on a trip and our flight home was from San Diego to Atlanta and the, the Beverly who was leading the trip told me like, hey, just so you know, this, this last flight is gonna be a red eye. It's a five hour flight. We're leaving at like 11 p.m. We're gonna arrive in Atlanta, whatever, do the math. I don't, it's, math is not my thing. And um, she was like, so you just need to be prepared. And I was like, okay, Beverly, I like comfort. I'm one of those people. I'm sorry, I like to be comfortable. And so because I like to be comfortable, I planned ahead to be comfortable. I, um, on this flight, when we got in, our, this was the only flight that we took where our whole team was together. And so we were in the back of the plane and the row behind me was actually empty when we sat down. I was really excited because I started getting all my stuff out, right? Because if you're gonna be comfortable in a red-eye flight, there are things that you need. I pulled out a sleeping mask, I pulled out a pillow, I pulled out a blanket, I pulled out all kinds of layers, I pulled out charging cords, my AirPods, um, everything that you can imagine that you would need to comfortably sleep through a red-eye flight. I also pulled out melatonin gummies because I wanted to be sure So we were sitting down. It looked like the row behind us was gonna be empty. I was very excited. And all of a sudden, last minute, this young guy starts running to the back of the plane and he sits right behind us. And not only does he sit right behind us, he sits right behind me because I had the window seat. See, I planned that because I wanted to comfortably go to sleep on this red-eye flight. And so this guy, young guy, sits behind me and I'm like, no, no worries. Um, everybody on the team is like seeing me prepare for a comfortable flight and everybody's like sees my melatonin gummies and they're like, Jessica, can I have a melatonin gummy? I'm like, for sure. I mean, this is our last flight. I'm doling them out. You know, everybody's taking them. All of a sudden I'm looking around, everybody's asleep. We haven't even taken off yet. The whole team is asleep. It's just me. I no big deal. I'm getting ready to take the melatonin gummy, ready to go to sleep. And as I get ready to do it, I kid you not, the young guy behind me, God bless him, he starts playing music from his phone. 
He does not have headphones or AirPods or anything of the sort. And I can hear his music very loudly because he's sitting right behind me. Honestly, I think the whole plane could probably hear him, but everybody was asleep because of melatonin gummies. And so um, he starts, and this music is not music with lyrics, they're beats. So I was like, this will be interesting, you know, whatever. Literally a minute in, I kid you not, a minute in, this young gentleman starts rapping out loud to the beats that are happening out loud. And um, rapping would be a stretch, honestly, for what I would call what he did. Honestly, I feel like he did haikus to music. I don't, I don't know. Because literally I'm sitting there and behind me I hear, mind you, everybody else is asleep. Behind me I hear, yeah, this plane's taking off. I need some water. My car is red. I was like, that didn't even rhyme. If you're gonna do this, at least be good. He did it the whole four and a half hours. I heard about every part of his life. I know the color of his car. I know his girlfriend left him. He's very angry about it. And um, it was just tough. Needless to say, I came in conflict. I came face to face with the fact that I want comfort. The reality is all of us in this room, that's what we want. All of us in the room, the truth is we want a level of comfort in our life. And given the choice between comfort and discomfort, we would always pick comfort. And not only is that a natural bent for us as humans, we also live in a culture that is built for our comfort and ease. Literally, a couple of weeks ago, we went to see a movie with a bunch of people and the, the, the leg part of my seat was like not wanting to come up properly and it was making a really loud noise. And I got frustrated that the leg part wouldn't come up all the way and I couldn't just lay down and watch the movie, right? And what's crazy is, is that I come from a generation where at one point we went to the movie theaters and all it happened was a fold out seat. This is crazy. I mean, like we live in a culture where we just, we want comfort. And here's the deal. Comfort in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, you can open up your Bible and read about comfort that God gives us. In fact, the God that we serve is a God of comfort. That is what he does for us. In fact, I have a couple of scriptures here. This is not, this is not an exhaustive list of, of um, scriptures about God wanting to comfort us, but these are three of some of my favorites. Psalm 23, four says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will, feel, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Love that scripture. What about in Psalm 119, 50? It says, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. What about Matthew 5, 4? These are the words of Jesus. He said, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Our God is a God who comforts. It's actually really beautiful. And not only does he provide us comfort, but he also comforts us so that we can in turn comfort others. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses three through seven, this is what he says. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. 
So God is a God who comforts us. And not only does he comfort us, he provides comfort for us so that we can in turn comfort others. It's actually incredibly beautiful. Can I tell you what the problem is though? Is that we don't understand the function of comfort because the context of what God is saying in these scriptures to us is that he is a comforter. That is who he is. He does comfort us. However, he comforts us in very specific circumstances. In fact, it says that he comforts us in our sufferings. That when we go through the darkest valley, he's with us. That when we're suffering, we can rest assured on his promise that while we mourn, he will comfort us. That is the function, is that in the storms, in the trials that we go through, he provides us comfort. This is the function of comfort, that he promises that when we go through things, that he's actually gonna be close to us, that we don't have to walk through things by ourselves. He will be with us. It is what separates our God from every other religion ever, is that the one who created you wants to walk with you. It's beautiful. It's stunning. The scripture of Paul you, if you notice the function of comfort here, it is so that you can comfort others. So this comfort, there's a flow to it. It's not just meant to come to you, but you're supposed to be a giver of comfort. Now, here's where comfort gets dangerous because there is a difference, a very, very, very big difference in comfort that God gives us and wanting to live a comfortable life. This is where it gets sticky for us. Because the function of God's comfort in our lives is so that we can go through the things that he wants us to go through, that we can actually get through the storms of life, that he will be with us. That is the function of it. The danger of comfort spiritually is that we can begin, if we're not careful, to have an expectation that Jesus's primary role in sole purpose and function in your life is to make you comfortable. That is not the function of Jesus in our life. He loves you and when you go through hard things, he is going to give you comfort. But his primary role in your life is not to make you comfortable. There is a difference between comfort and living and in pursuit of comfortable. That's the difference. And it's actually incredibly dangerous because when this becomes our mindset that we wanna pursue comfort, that we actually want to be comfort because you'll notice scripturally, there are no scriptures that would say, pursue comfort, seek it. It's something that God gives us when we need it and that we in turn give to others as we get it. And here's, here's the problem, instead of, instead of approaching Jesus as our savior, the one who saves us and redeems us, if we have this mindset that his goal is to make us comfortable, what ends up happening is that what we want him to do actually is just to meet our needs. We want him to answer the prayers that we've prayed and answer them specifically how we prayed them. We want our lives to be easy and without pain and without suffering. We don't actually wanna go through hard times. We don't, we don't wanna have to do that. We want the waters to be calm. We want God to... We never wanna to have to experience anything hard. And it's dangerous because the mindset that we develop here is that comfort is my right. That as a Christian, I have a right to comfort. And we have sometimes said and presented the gospel message in a way that it is your get out of uncomfort free like thing. And it's not 
Actually, it's, it's quite the opposite because interestingly, if you read your Bible, you'll notice that God himself puts people, his people in the Bible in really uncomfortable situations all the time. In fact, look at the life of Abraham. He called Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and everything that you know, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Could you imagine God telling you today, hey, sell your house. I don't know where you're gonna go, or where you're gonna live, but just trust me. That's uncomfortable. And then he tells him, hey, and I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. Well, his wife was barren, but then she does end up having a child. And then God says, now I want you to sacrifice him. That feels really uncomfortable to me. I mean, look at the life of Noah. God tells Noah, hey, listen, there, there is sin and destruction. My people have turned against me. I'm gonna destroy the earth with a flood. I want you to build an ark. I'm actually gonna save a remnant. These people had never seen rain. Imagine the uncomfort, the discomfort that Noah felt when he had to go build a huge boat. I mean, think about the life of Moses. God tells Moses, a Hebrew, he's born Hebrew, he's in Egypt living under that house, he's a murderer at this point, and he says to him, hey, go and tell Pharaoh, the, the king of the land, the one over everything, that you're, he needs to let my people go. Moses said to God, I don't think it's me. <laughs> you should find someone else. And God said, no, it's actually gonna be you. You're gonna tell them that I am sent you. Uncomfort, un that's like incredibly uncomfortable. Or what about the fact that Joshua is raised up as the leader and he's actually gonna lead the people into the promised land. There are giants and enemies living in this land and God tells them, go anyways. Actually be bold and courageous because I'm gonna go with you. That feels uncomfortable to me. Look at the New Testament. Look at the lives of the disciples, the people who follow Jesus. They left everything that they knew to follow him. They didn't know what was gonna happen. It didn't mean that they were gonna have, knew where they were even gonna sleep at night. And most of them would end up being martyred for their faith. They were persecuted. I mean, horrible things happened. Look at the life of Paul. Paul was a, a religious leader who was murdering Christians. God radically saved him and then told him, hey, I'm gonna send you and you're gonna like make disciples. And Paul is shipwrecked and he's beaten and he's imprisoned. And ultimately, Jesus the life that he's calling us to live, what he tells us is he says, die to yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I can't think of something that's more opposed to uncomfortable, uh, like being uncomfortable than that. That's actually the life that, call, that God has called us to live. This means that we have to wage war with our flesh, with our natural bent to want ease and to be happy and for things to go well, and for us not to wanna to have to work at anything, and we just wanna sit back, and we just wanna enjoy life. Why can't I just enjoy this? Why does everything have to be so much work? I just want something to be easy, right? The thing is, is that we have to have a strategy. You know why? Because our enemy has a strategy for us. Our enemy is real. The Bible talks about that his, his main goal for your life is to steal and kill and destroy. Peter describes him as like a lion, a roaring lion, seeking around, prowling to see who he can devour. I don't know if you've ever thought about the word prowl, that the enemy's on the prowl. Have you ever seen lions hunt? Like, have you ever watched a channel where you've seen them hunt? I think they're fascinating. And lions, when they hunt, when they're seeking their prey, they do it stealthily. They, they hide themselves. 
They do it little by little. And so many of us, we think that the enemy's plan in our life is that it's gonna be some crazy big attack. And we're just always, you know, like that was the devil. Was that the devil? You know, like, like he's hiding under our bed. He's about to come out, you know? And what I, what I think is, is that one of, great, one of Satan's greatest desires for your life is actually that you would anchor yourself into comfort so much so that you will choose it and desire it over the plan that God has for your life. And this happens little by little. That's what makes it such a great strategy because you don't even notice it. Because it actually seems good, right? Like God, like God wants me to be comfortable. And th- this, this, today what we're talking about, this isn't like don't ever be comfortable. Like if you wanna live for Jesus, that's it. No comfort at all. That's not what this is. I'm talking about the pursuit of comfort. When our hope and our goal is comfort over Jesus, this is what the enemy wants for your life. He wants you to anchor yourself into comfort. He wants you to settle into a comfort zone. You know why? Because it's so deceptive. You will think that you are safe and what you're doing is you're sabotaging the, God, the plan that God has for your life. It feels safe and it feels good and it feels like, oh, okay, like this, like I can, this is a sure thing. And really what comfort and the pursuit of comfort does is that it, it actually causes us not to really ever pursue what God has for us because the greatest enemy of our faith is familiarity. It's, it's comfort. And a lot of us think that the greatest enemy of our faith is fear, but fear causes us to have to cling to something because it creates this panic in us a little bit. The, the difference is, is with comfort, it feels good and it feels familiar. And what ends up happening is that it will keep you in patterns and cycles. It's incredibly, incredibly dangerous, which means that we need to understand if the goal here is that we would not be anchored in comfort, we have to look at what does a life look like that's anchored to comfort? What does it look like? What does comfort do? Well, I think the first thing that a life anchored to comfort, what it looks like, it looks like a life that is minimizing our need for God. This is what comfort will do. In fact, one of the saddest, I think, stories in the gospels is a story called the rich young ruler. Many of you guys know it, I'm gonna read it. It's found in Mark 10 and at this point, Jesus is, he's on the earth and he's healing and he's um, teaching his disciples and the followers. And so he has this encounter And we're gonna find it in Mark 10, 17 through 22. And it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. This is one of the saddest verses ever. It says, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Here God is. It's Jesus, God in the flesh, 
He's come to seek and save the lost. And this guy, he knows that there's something about him because he's, he's come to him and he's called him, you're a good teacher, you're the one, I think you're the one. And so Jesus enters into this conversation with him because he already knows his heart. He already knows his struggle, but he wants him to see it. So they enter into this conversation and Jesus says, well, you know the commands, like, right? You know them. And he's like, I've been doing this. Like, I'm good, I'm doing it. So like, can I have eternal life now? And Jesus looks at him because Jesus knows that this rich young ruler, his heart is anchored in something other than God. He knows it. In fact, what his heart is anchored in is the comfort of all the things that he owned. Because it says when Jesus gave him the invitation to come and follow me, it says that he got sad. His face got downcast and he actually walked away really sad because he had great wealth. It was the comfort of wealth that caused him to not accept the invitation because when our, when our anchor is in comfort and in financial security and what we can save and store and how we can feel good about it, it causes us not to need God. And what happened is, is that he was so deceived by this false security in wealth and comfort that he didn't even realize he needed a savior. He didn't realize the invitation that was before him because the pursuit of comfort in our lives, what it will do is ultimately it will make our whole focus about ourselves. It will be about do everything you can, have the best job, make the most money, you know, like save up, like don't do, do whatever you want, do whatever what feels good, you know, like it's all about comfort, it's all about you and what happens is, is that will begin to minimize your dependence on God, it will minimize your desire for him, and it will minimize your desperation for him. And when all of those things are minimized, we, we do exactly, we walk away. We won't ever actually enter into the invitation that's set before us because we just, we don't even see the need for God in our life, for him to be our savior, to be our everything, to be our only hope, our only source of dependence. And not only does comfort minimize our need for God, it also causes us to stay in our dysfunction. The reality is, is all of us in the room, we all have a level of dysfunction in our lives. In fact, if I were to ask you, and don't do this, but I'm gonna ask the question, just don't raise your hand because I'm trying to make rides home today good. But if I were to ask, how many of you came from a dysfunctional family um, I would imagine the majority of us probably would raise our hands. And here's the deal. It's not because our parents were horrible. It's not because of anything other than the fact that we're all broken and messy people in need of Jesus. And broken and messy people have kids and have homes. And so we grow up with a level of dysfunction, either from the trauma that we faced or maybe from the patterns of our families, maybe from the culture of our home, whatever that looks like, maybe the things that have happened to us in life. And so what happens is we, we all have this level of dysfunction that happens. And the problem is, is that if our, if our goal is comfortable living, we will actually never, we'll never get healthy in dysfunction because it's too hard. We don't wanna deal with it. I, I came head to head with this, you know, th earlier this year, 
Um, as a staff, and if you've gone through the core classes, we've been going through emotionally healthy spirituality, and um, we did it as a staff several months ago, and I literally walked in thinking, I should be totally fine. I've been to counseling before. This is a piece of cake, you know? They um, sat us into small tables and we opened the workbook and like one of the first things we had to do was like plot all the bad things that all of our family's ever done. And um, like do this kind of line here if it's that and this kind of line here. And when I looked at the graph at the end, I was like, this feels overwhelming. Lots of different colors and squiggly lines and all kinds of things. And I was like, I came from dysfunction. I, I You know, it's like, I know that that's true. It's sometimes harder for us to like admit that we've come from dysfunction. And the problem is, is that comfort makes us want to never work on dysfunction. So we, we actually never want to deal with the fact that we have insecurity. It doesn't want us to deal with the fact that we are living in fear. In fact, every decision we make is a product of fear because we grew up in a house where we were told to be scared. Or we never wanna deal with the anger that's bubbling up inside of us because of the things that we've witnessed, the things that we've gone through. Maybe it's we've learned to avoid at all costs. You know, whatever it is that you have learned at home, we don't wanna deal with it because it's hard. It's like, I wish I could say something more spiritual than that, but it's just true, it's hard. It's hard to deal with things that come from deep down, from way past. The problem is, is those things, it causes a level of dysfunction in our life. And, and you know, because the people in your life know it. Usually the people in our life know what our dysfunction is. In fact, Paul will say in Romans 12 too, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Paul is literally saying, listen, don't conform to the way society is, be transformed. The reality is, is that if, we are, if our anchor is in comfort, we will never pursue transformation, ever. Because transformation is hard work. It takes effort. It means that when I open up my Bible and I read it, which it means I need to open up my Bible and read it, that it's not, to understand that it's not there to make me feel better about life and to inspire me, that actually its sole purpose is to transform my life, that when I look at it, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the ways in which I need God to enter into my space because I am so dysfunctional. That's literally what happens. And transformation takes a lot of work and it's really hard. And it's easier for us to be anchored to comfort and to really just kind of like, let our dysfunction just kind of lay there because here's the problem. If dysfunction is stuffed enough, dysfunction starts to feel normal. And then what happens is, is it actually feels good. We don't know a life without insecurity. We've had to navigate it our whole life. Every scenario that we do, every situation that we're in is all a product of insecurity in our life. And because we're so comfortable in it and we've navigated it so long, it feels weird not to even have it. And what comfort would do would be to tell you and to make you think that your dysfunction is normal. The problem with our dysfunction is not that God will not use us if we're dysfunctional, right? He, he uses anybody. It's that it will keep us from the plan that God has for us. Because if we are filled with dysfunction, we'll actually never take a step of faith. 
And not only that, if we do try to take a step of faith and we try to disciple people, we will only be able to do it to the level of which we've been able to give it to God. So then we're kind of stunted. That's the reality is that comfort stunts our growth in, in terms of our dysfunction. And when we're anchored to Jesus though, this is, this is the beauty is that, because we're called to be anchored to him, Jesus actually comes into our life and he confronts the dysfunction. That's actually what he does. When you look at Jesus's life on the earth in the gospels, he's confronting constantly. In fact, I would say he, he confronts more than he comforts. Now, when I say he confronts, this doesn't mean that he condemns us. This is not him being like, look at you, you sorry sinner. That's not what we're talking about. What Jesus did is he confronted the issues. He confronted the unclean spirits. He confronted the religious systems that kept people in bondage from even knowing him. That's what he did. And when Jesus confronts, guess what it brings? Freedom. It brings healing. When Jesus says, come out, that's actually what happens. But as long as we're tempted to be anchored in comfort, we, we, will never, we won't experience that. We will normalize our dysfunction. And what we will say is, it's just the way I am. Like, I can't be any different. This, this is it. This is, this is who I am. And not only does it minimize our need for God and cause us to stay in our dysfunction, but comfort, when we're anchored to it, ultimately what it does is, is it distracts us from the life that God has called us to live. Now, I, um, I'm gonna be incredibly vulnerable with you this morning. This um, subject, um, being anchored to comfort, is, uh, it hits uh, really close to home, to be quite honest, because um, I think that I have really been struggling with this. I didn't know it, um, but I, I really feel like I've been struggling and a couple of months ago in June, actually the, the, the story I told about the plane ride, we were actually on a missions trip. Some of us, um, we've said this before, we, we had gone to Mexico, a place called Ensenada, Mexico. And it was a small group of people and Beverly led the charge. And she came to me because we had been talking about wanting to have a missional thrust in the youth ministry, someplace that we could go. And so um, Beverly came to me and said, hey, I'm, we're, we're wanting to take this trip. It is a um, scouting trip. We've never gone to this place before. Um, I think this could be really great for the youth ministry. I really want you to go. So I was kind of asking her, you know, like, what is it? And she's like, we're going to work at this orphanage in Ensenada, Mexico. And uh, that's pretty much what I know. I have some, I have some contacts from Wawim that are gonna help us because they're familiar with this place. And we're just gonna go, it's gonna be a small team of people. And uh, I told her like, yeah, 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 I'll pray about it. Sure, no, no big deal. Mostly because I just, I probably had work to do. And um, I just, you know how it's like, you just say things sometimes because you just think that time will never actually happen. And so that's what I did. And so she left and because Beverly is who she is, like a couple days later, she's like, hey, what do you think? You know, and I'm like, I don't know. I did that whole like finances. I don't, you know, I don't know. She was like, oh, don't worry about it. I've already got you covered. There are people who want to sponsor it. Your trip is totally covered. I'm like, okay. So I guess like, cause everything is covered. I have to say yes. And so I was like, sure, <laughs> I can't wait. Um, and so I said yes. And of course, leading up to the trip, if you've ever taken a mission trip, this is normally where the enemy likes to do his best work. And um, literally a couple of weeks before, I just am like, I don't wanna go. 
I had some weird dreams about going. I had just like a level of just discomfort because there were lots of things to do in youth ministry because summer is really crazy and busy and we had camps coming up. And so I thought of a million reasons why it would not be beneficial if I went on this trip. In fact, I walked into my boss's office, Pastor Reagan, and I told him, I was like, I don't wanna go. I think it was like the day before. He was like, Jessica, I was like, I don't wanna go. <laughs> He's like, pack your bag, you know. So I did, and um, we, we flew into San Diego, and um, we got in a bus. And, and granted, I have been on missions trips before. This is not my first trip. It's been a while since I had been on a missions trip, but I have seen some pretty, you know, devastating stuff and went to some parts of Africa. And so I was fully unprepared, I, I think, for this trip. And, and I know now what God was doing in my life, but... At the time, I didn't, and we drove on a, from a, a bus from San Diego into the first city we got into was Tijuana, and we were driving down, waiting to get to Ensenada. It's about an hour and a half drive, two hours, and immediately, like, I just was um, completely taken aback by the level of poverty of what we saw. It was, um, it was actually unlike anything I probably have ever seen in my entire life, just... Um, the way that people lived, if you wanna call them houses, maybe. It was like tarp and rope and duct tape and cardboard and um, the smell was really bad because of the water that they get there. And it was just really devastating. And what's really crazy is because it's a coastal city, there, there's, it, there's so much beauty in the beach and it's actually a port for um, cruises and things like that. But as soon as you get off that part, it's actually incredibly, incredibly poor. And we got off the main road, which is one of the only paved roads there, and we got to Ensenada, and we got into where the homes would be, and we started driving, and immediately I noticed that there were just tons of kids everywhere, like tons. And I'm not talking about like kids that just got out of school. I'm talking about like two, three, four, five-year-olds just walking around no parents, nothing. And I was asking, you know, our tour, our guides, our YWAM contacts, you know, just like asking about it. He was like, oh, it's, it's really common here. You know, the poverty is so incredible that most of these parents are field workers at best and um, they're making, I mean, 30, 40 cents a day. And if they can't afford housing, um, it's, made of tarps and cardboard. And if they can't, they live in field camps. It's a very common practice for them to, if they have children because they can't afford childcare, that they would take their kids and tie them to either like ovens or stoves in the house to keep them from just going out into the streets. And if they didn't do that, then they would drug them a little bit so they would sleep during the day and they would be able to come home at night and their kid would be in bed. But we saw crazy things. I saw kids that were one, two, three-year-olds literally just walking on the street. And immediately, it was, it was probably one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it was almost like immediately, I felt so sad, so sad. And so we pulled up into the orphanage and um, we were getting all of our stuff out and this orphanage specifically that we went to, it, they take care of 28 kids, ranging from the ages of like one to I think 15, 16 is the oldest. And um, when we got there, we put our stuff up and 
I mean, it's like dirt everywhere. There's nothing. It is, um, it's bare bones. There um, are stray dogs everywhere. And immediately, like I see some of the workers have on caps and they tell us that there's been a lice infestation, that we're walking into lots of kids and grownups with lice. I was like, okay, you're like, here we are. And not to mention that I don't know who decided that this would be a great idea, but at all eight of us, none of us spoke Spanish and um, there weren't Spanish translators there available for us. So we all went into a situation, we didn't even know how to talk to most of these kids or workers. And I was like, this has to be the most uncomfortable thing ever. And so we just, we get there and it's like red dirt everywhere. It's the kind of dirt that's just, you take a shower and there's dirt still on you and you don't even know how, you know? And so we put our stuff in our room and they were like, hey, dinner's just started for, for the kids in the orphanage. If you guys wanna come, you can have dinner with them. And we were like, oh, of course, you know, that's why we're here. So we all get ready and we walk over to the orphanage and I mean, immediately, I see some of the most beautiful kids I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And it would make you like the kind of beautiful that makes you question how a parent can do that. Although given the worst circumstances, all of us would probably face something like that. And when we walked in, they were kind of circled up and they were getting ready to pray. And there was this little boy, his name was Carlos. And he looked at me and he started waving to me really weird. (laughs) And so I started waving to him really weird and We go to have dinner, Carlos sits next to me. And before you know it, I don't think that I left that child's side except for to sleep. And I've just, I've never experienced something like that. I found out later the reason why he was alone when away from all the other kids was because there was apparently some knife incident during lunch. I don't believe that that was true, but um, he was just really sweet and precious. And every single day I would get up And the only way I can describe it is that I felt a complete anxiety about not being in the presence of these kids. Like it made me feel weird that I wasn't with them. And I would get up in the mornings and I would tell Beverly, like, I have to go over there. Like, I I have to see them. I have to go over, I I just, I need to be around them. And I would go and I would play with them and just to watch, I mean, you're, you're talking about kids who have nothing. Most of them have been put there by their families, I learned later that Carlos's mom is drug addicted and her grandma and his grandmother had him and his siblings and had to drop them off because he just she couldn't afford it. And to watch these kids who have nothing, nothing. In fact, Carlos had eight Jenga blocks. That's what he played with every day. And every day we would find his eight Jenga blocks. You know you can't play Jenga with eight Jenga blocks, but we did for hours, you know, because it's what he had and um I would watch these kids, I mean like two, three, four years old, they had chapel every morning at 7 a.m. every morning. You weren't late, those kids were dressed and ready and I watched them worship Jesus in a way that I, I don't even think I have ever, I've ever seen. I can't, I can't describe you the feeling in the room and um, just to watch them love Jesus because his orphanage teaches them about God and they are, they're building this love for him and they have nothing, nothing. Like no, no comforts that we have, you know? And it was wild. They weren't, they weren't itching to get out. They weren't like, we're bored. They were excited to learn about Jesus. 
And every day, I, I, the only way I can describe it is I felt a complete weight. Like I, I just, I didn't know what it was. I cried every day that I was there. I was more sad there than I've ever been in my entire life. And I could not tell you why. I couldn't figure it out. I, I felt like I was so frustrated with myself. Like I didn't even wanna come to this place. Now I've fallen in love with these kids. And now I'm like, I feel sad. I, I just, I, I didn't understand what was going on. I was kind of frustrated with the Lord to be quite honest. And Thursdays they fast at this orphanage. They actually teach their kids how to fast. And they, when they fast, they pray for other people in their communities. So every Thursday, these kids go without breakfast and instead of a one hour chapel, they have a two hour chapel. And it was Thursday during fasting that we were in chapel service. And I actually have a little video that we're gonna play of the, the chapel service. boy on the right. And um, I will never forget it. And I walked away like I, I am missing something. Like I was devastated. And that night when I got into bed, because we were, we were all in bunk beds, I was the last one to go to sleep. And I remember laying in my bed and I was praying and I was asking God, like, I don't understand. Why am I so sad? I feel so sad. And it was like, if I, I was laying there and I knew that what it was, was they had something that I did not have. They had something that I didn't understand. And immediately I felt like the Lord like put the scripture, John 10, 10 in my heart. And that scripture is, is Jesus talking. And he says that the thief comes only to still kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. And I remember when I was, like when I felt like he, he gave me that, I was kind of frustrated because it was like, God, what does that mean? It doesn't seem like abundant life here. They have nothing. They have nothing. These kids don't even own their own clothes. They all share them. You know, like what does it mean? Because I know what I have taken that to mean, right? I think all of us at some point when we talk about the abundant life that we have in God, unfortunately sometimes what we think is the pleasures of God, the material things, like where he comes through and he provides when we need it and those things are really awesome. But that's what we think, the money, the aspirations, like all of that, the jobs, that's what we think that this abundant life is. But I can tell you something, it's, it, it boils down, it's comfort. Like that's what we think that the abundant life is, it's comfort. And the problem is, is that when I was there, I just, they didn't have all the things that you and I have. And I, I just remember thinking like, God, what, what does it mean? Because what, what does the abundant life mean if it's not comfort, what is it? And I realized in a moment that what they had was the anchor of Jesus. They delighted in him. He really was everything for them. 
He, in a moment, I saw what I can imagine being completely anchored in Jesus looked like because it meant they had nothing Nothing to their name, not even a parent that would come and visit them. They had no toys and no clothes, nothing that every kid you would think should have, and yet they loved God. I watched them worship in a way that I don't think I've ever done. And I'm like, I'm missing something. I'm missing something. Because the reality is, is that when we ask Jesus to come into our lives, he places us in his kingdom. In fact, in Colossians, it says that he rescued us out of darkness and he places us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Which means now that we're, we're in his kingdom, which means that we're on his team. That he actually has a plan and a purpose for our life. But can I tell you something? This kingdom life that we're called to, we are not called to be bystanders. We are not called to be consumers. We're not called to stand by and be spectators. But what God wants is for us to be active participants in his kingdom. That looks like we are the demonstration of God to a hurt and broken world. That means that we can comfort people with the comfort that we have been given. It means that I step out in faith and I I am bold and I am uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel so that people could know. Let me tell you, Jesus, his heart is, he, he made it very clear. He said, I have come to seek and save the lost. I think Jesus loves it when we gather like this on a Sunday, but can I tell you something? As much as he loves this, he is thinking and, and looking at the people who aren't in the room. That is actually what he's concerned about too. And we get so comfortable thinking that this is what it is. It's us gathering together in an air-conditioned room with a big old screen, and none of those things are bad. Let me just say that. None of them are bad. I'm so thankful for the AC. But I was in Mexico watching 28 little kids who had nothing worship in a way that I have never experienced in my 36 years on life, and I'm thinking I've missed it. I have somewhere along the line, I have made comfort more of an anchor than I ever have Jesus. And can I tell you today, this is the invitation that you have. What my fear is in, a, in talking about this is that what you would walk away with is that you need to go on a mission trip. Although do it, I think it's great. I think everybody should go on one. That is not the point of this. The point of this is to say that every single day in whatever context you find yourself in, you have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus that you have the opportunity to reach people who are broken and far from him. You don't have to be in Mexico to do it. You can be in Grovetown, Georgia at your job to do it. In fact, this is actually what God's called us to do. But if our hope and everything that we have is based in comfort, we will never do it. Because what will happen is, is it will feel too hard. It'll feel uncomfortable. But this is exactly the life that God's called us to. You cannot pursue a bold faith and live comfortably. You cannot do it. Those two things are at odds with one another. And if you are going to do what God has in store for you to do, which is to be the demonstration of him on this earth, to be his hands and feet, then you have to decide that you cannot pursue comfort over him. You can't do it. That means that for some of us in the room, what this looks like is, is that you need to share the gospel with somebody. Maybe there's somebody at work, somebody at your school, some, somebody that your kids are friends with, their parents, I don't know what it is. And you know you needed to share Jesus and your testimony and you haven't done it simply because it would have made you uncomfortable. 
And let me tell you, there's no shame in here. I've done it too, plenty of times. But that's actually what it looks like to be anchored in Jesus, to be anchored into his kingdom. This is what, look, what it looks like to not pursue being comfortable. Some of us, we need, to dis, we need to deal with the dysfunction in our life. Some of us, we need to have a hard conversation. Some of us, we need to pursue God, really pursue him. That's actually what this would look like. Some of us need to give money away. Some of us, we've put all of our, you know, our, our security and all of our hope on our, our savings account. Maybe it looks like buying a meal for somebody. I, I, you know, for some of us, maybe it looks like you need to go to that city group. You know you need to go to a city group. You know you need to be doing community with people and you're not doing it because you're afraid of it, it being uncomfortable. What if no one knows me? What if, what if it's awkward? Maybe for you, it looks like opening your home to people having people over it in your home and having dinner with your neighbors and your coworkers and people from church. Maybe it looks like you should be discipling people that you're not. Maybe it looks like you should be on a team that you're not on because you're so afraid of it messing with the comfort in your own life. Let me tell you something. The danger of comfort is that it only breeds more comfort. You're not comfortable for a season and then go, oh, okay, well now I'm good. Comfort will only want you to chase comfort more. That's actually the nature of it. Maybe some of us, you need to, you need to the, the job that you're pursuing is not it. And God's closing doors and you're still going after it. And for some of us, it's actually staying at the job that we're trying to get out of because God wants to use us there. Only you know a place in your life where you have allowed comfort to be the thing that you're seeking after. And that is the conversation today. That is the question as we close is, are you anchored to comfort? Are you comfortable? Is comfort something that you're seeking more than you're seeking Jesus in your life? Are you putting your hope and dependence and everything on being comfortable and things being easy and never having to do the hard work or are you pursuing Him? I want you to stand because we're gonna pray. And I, I think, uh, you know, a message like today, my fear sometimes is, is that there, there needs to be a response in our life if God's gonna transform us, right? So whatever that looks like for you today, the, we all have things in our life where we have held on to them and we have pursued it over, over Jesus. And today specifically, if you would say, comfort is something that I have been pursuing in my life. If I'm honest and I look at the decisions that I'm making and the life that I'm making, it is all, it is all being, um, comfort has the final say in it. If that is it, today we're gonna repent because that's what we're gonna do because Jesus is faithful to forgive us. And the next part is, is what is God asking you to do? Only you know where you're comfortable in life. It's between you and the Lord. But I would say today as we pray, ask him, he will reveal it to you. I believe that. So we're gonna pray, Lord, we love you, God. You're so good, Jesus. And I'm so thankful. We're so thankful for your presence in this place, God. I know that you're here. And God, I thank you that you love your people. I thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for each person in this room. And Lord, we repent for every place, God, where we have pursued comfort over you. Every place where we have allowed comfort to dictate our lives. God, every place where we have been, we have been satisfied and we have been safe. In the, in the comfort and the material things, Lord, every place where that has been more of a priority in our life than you, Lord, we repent. 
And God, I pray that you would speak to each person in this room, God, show us where is it that we're comfortable, God? Where is it that we're, we're pursuing comfort? Lord, would you show it to us? And God, I pray that we would be a people who would leave here with a bold faith. That God, we would go out. And Lord, as we go to, to, to the stores that we go to and the coffee shops that we go to and our jobs and our schools, wherever it is, God, that we would really live a bold kind of faith that would require us to be uncomfortable. God, help us. Give us the boldness to do it, God. Give us the strength to do it. You're so good in this place, God. We love you in Jesus' name.